The following program is proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. the previous episodes in the Road Safety in Focus series, I had a lengthy discussion with Head of Transport Safety, Security and Emergency Management at Transport for New South Wales, Peter Dumphy, who helped us identify five key contributors to road accidents, their relevant statistics and some of the driver attitudes and behaviours that lead to these types of accidents. But we all know that the roads are not just used by drivers, nor are they restricted to small vehicles. Our roads are used by drivers of small and heavy vehicles, riders of motorcycles and bicycles, as well as pedestrians. And it's the way they all share the roads with one another that determines how many of them will return to their homes and families safely at the end of the day. So if you haven't guessed already, sharing the roads with pedestrians, riders and heavy vehicles is the focal topic. However, it's such a huge topic that it needs to be discussed in two parts. To talk us through part one, sharing the roads with pedestrians, and riders. I'm pleased to have Peter Dumphy on board again. Peter, it's great to have you back on Road Safety in Focus. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ola. It's a pleasure as always. Now, Peter, as earlier mentioned, the purpose of today's interview is to address the issue of sharing the road safely with pedestrians, riders and heavy vehicles. But to keep things clear and simple, we'll split this interview into two sections. The first focusing on pedestrians and riders and the second on heavy vehicles. So to begin the first section, let's start with clarifying who are we referring to when we speak about pedestrians? Yeah, look, uh, thanks again for having me on. And, um, yeah, look, in terms of pedestrians, it does cover uh, anybody who is uh, using the roads, crossing the roads, uh, but it also includes uh, persons not only who are travelling on foot, but um, it might be a person who's pushing a bicycle. It could be somebody who's uh, using a skateboard, a wheelchair, or a motorised um, mobility device as well. They're all classified as uh, pedestrians. Oh, well. wow. That's quite interesting that you mentioned that people using mobility scooters are also classified as uh, pedestrians, although many may be inclined to think of them more as riders. Yeah, that's true. I mean, people do see them on those motorised um, mobility devices. But mm. that, if you're on one of those devices, you are classified as a pedestrian and you've got the same rights and uh, responsibilities as a pedestrian. Who then is covered by the terms cyclist or rider? Uh, in terms of a cyclist or rider, so it is anybody who's using a, um, a bicycle or anybody who's on a motorbike, um, which mm-hmm. um, is registered uh, for road use. So covers both of those uh, those categories. 
Now, given that most people own cars these days, most of us would be inclined to believe that the number of cars is far greater than the number of pedestrians or cyclists on the road. With that said, we might expect the number of accidents involving motor vehicles to be much greater than that involving pedestrians or riders. So how accurate or inaccurate of an assumption would that be? Uh, look, it's um, certainly not necessarily the case. In terms of uh, motor vehicles, uh, while the greatest proportion of, um, of road trauma is from, um, from motor vehicles, certainly motorcycles and pedestrians make up quite a large um, percentage of uh, our um, fatality rates uh, on roads. So in um, 2021, there were almost uh, three motor occupants uh, fatalities per 1,000 registered vehicles. Wow. which is approximately 10 times compared to that for uh, almost um, 24 um, motorcycles fatalities per 100,000 registered vehicles. So you can see that um, certainly um, motorcyclists are certainly a high-risk group. Mm. Uh, the pedestrians, um, in 2021, we had 42 pedestrian uh, deaths, sadly, on the road, mm. and that represents about 16% of all road deaths. Uh, and then we had eight cyclists who were killed in 2021, and again, about 3% of all road deaths. So they smaller numbers, but they certainly make up a significant, because every um, death is one too many. Yeah, and of course, that's probably going to um, go back to the fact that they are, in fact, more vulnerable road users. They're more exposed than, say, someone who's driving a car or, you know, a larger vehicle even. Yes, we sometimes forget that uh, as pedestrians or if we're on a bicycle or on a motorcycle, uh, that uh, if you uh, do get into a, an incident, uh, you're much greater risk of being fatally or seriously injured because for the obvious reasons that you just don't have the same protection that you have um, uh, being in a car with all of the safe design and the, um, the superstructure of the car. So uh, mm. pedestrians have a much greater risk of, um, of being um, injured. Uh, and also it depends on the, um, the speed in which um, if you're a pedestrian or in an accident too. So mm. certainly the chances of surviving um, for a pedestrian, if you're hit by a car that might be travelling at 30 kilometres per hour, there's a 90% chance that you'll survive. Uh, if you're hit by a car and it's travelling at 40 kilometres, there's only a 60% chance. And of course, if you're hit by a car uh, at 50 kilometres, which isn't that that fast, um, mm. there's only a 10% chance you'll survive. So uh, it also depends, as a pedestrian, what sort of roads you're navigating as well, but the yeah. risk can be significant. And of course, you just don't have the same protection that you have um, in a car if you're in an accident. So it is more important, I think, for both uh, pedestrian and cyclists and motorcyclists to be aware um, of that risk and um, need to be extra careful in terms mm. of navigating um, roadways. Well, that's quite a sobering um the figure that you mentioned there about the survivability rates between those different speeds. Uh, I mean, 50 kilometres, not a lot of us would think about 50 kilometres as being a great speed, but yet, you know, you're only likely to survive that kind of a crash by 10%. That's, mm, yeah, that's like you would think that, I mean, most of our um, suburban streets are, um, are at 50 kilometres per hour, so uh, you sort of think they're sort of safe areas to navigate, and of course they are in mm. the main, but Certainly you don't want to be putting yourself in a situation where you can run the risk of being hit by a motor car. 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's focus a little bit on motorcycles. Now, motorcycles are kind of a bit of a, a grey area, really. So where do motorcycles fit into the picture in terms of the category of road rules that they should follow? Are they following rules for cyclists, motor vehicles, or a set of rules that's somewhere in between? Yeah, look, for motorcycle riders, they do need to follow the same rules as everybody else on the road. There are some additional rules for motorcycle riders. In terms of being on the road, one of the key risks for motorcycle riders is that they're much harder to see and um, the only protection that they have, obviously, is their helmet and their um, their clothes. So mm. there is a much greater risk of a crash or an incident um, with a, a motorcycle rider. So it is really important that they take extra care and we as drivers take extra care looking out for motorcyclists. Yeah, especially when you find motorcyclists lane filtering because usually with other cars you expect that a car is going to stay within a certain lane and you're going to see it when it intends to overtake, for example. But with motorcycles, they're a bit more unpredictable in that sense that they can lane filter. Yeah, that's true. And um, there are certainly different um, controls for lane filtering. So you and motorcyclists. Um, are able to lane filter and, and by mm. lane filter we mean is um, when a motorcycle rider is riding at low speed between traffic. Certainly uh, there is um, you know, ability for motorcyclists to do that uh, and they can do it in certain circumstances. So where, certainly where they're travelling less than 30 kilometres and the traffic is stopped or moved very slowly, it is allowable for um, a motorcyclist to do that lane filtering. Mm -hmm. What obviously is much more dangerous is doing it at higher speeds and uh, doing it between the vehicles and also the curb, which um, is not allowed, or between the car that's moving and parked vehicles. But it is really important uh, that motorcycle riders follow those rules mm. and only use the uh, only do safe lane filtering, which is at those low speeds. Yeah, for their own safety, really. It is for their own safety, and also it is much harder for drivers to notice them, which is why it is important that some done at those low speeds. Yeah. What are some of the common or critical mistakes that pedestrians or cyclists or motorbike riders make when sharing the road with cars and larger vehicles? Yeah, so for pedestrians, the key sorts of things that uh, we need to look out when we're doing that are things that, that do create some serious injury and even tragically fatalities. Mm -hmm. It's not crossing at the lights or the pedestrian crossings if they're available. Uh, running across the road, again, you, when you're running across the road in between traffic, you're assuming that you're not going to fall and trip and um, fall in the way of a, an oncoming uh, vehicle. Uh, so again, that's a, a great group. Uh, not looking both ways before crossing is really uh, an obvious one that we all should be doing just to make sure that there isn't something backing up or going the wrong direction. Uh, not finding the safest place to cross. So again, uh, it might be trying to get across the road either in front of a bus and not be able to see what's in front of you or yeah. getting stranded on the street um, when you do get in front of the bus and realise that you can't get out. Uh, the other key thing is really the distraction um, and we all use our phones um, regularly mm. uh, and it's really important not to um, be using phones when you're um, trying to navigate traffic and trying to navigate um, busy roadways because those distractions can be quite fatal uh, and uh, really important to people not to use their phones um, while they are on the roads. Assuming that uh, a driver has seen them, so even if you do walk out and you um, you see a driver and you think you, you know they've obviously seen you, they're going to stop. You need to 
I'm really conscious that they are going to give way whether it's on the pedestrian crossing or other ways that you're crossing the road mm. and don't assume that they will give way to you if you're not on the crossing. I think in regards to pedestrians and children, it's really important for young children to um, be holding their hand when they're crossing the roads because uh, children can act quite um, unexpectedly um, or mm. unpredictably. Uh, and then if you are picking up the children from school or you're collecting them from a bus stop, try as much as possible to pick them up from the same side of the road that they're on. Sadly, a lot of pedestrian fatalities are a result of children running out in front of traffic. For bicycle riders, one of the key mistakes that riders make is they're not wearing a helmet, which is a legal requirement. But more importantly, it's such an important safety um, device and protection for cyclists. We know that about 15% of bike riders seriously injured on the road we're not wearing a helmet uh, the other thing when you're riding a cycle too is it's important to wear um, bright or reflective clothing for your visibility because again motorists don't always thinking to looking out for bicycle riders uh, mm. and sometimes can be just a bit blind to them and particularly I think if they're traveling uh, at night it's much harder to detect bicycles so it's important in those circumstances that the cyclists um, have the appropriate flashing lights at the front and rear of their bicycles. Uh, the other thing I think is not weaving in and out of traffic if you're on a um, bicycle. The other thing is we're seeing more and more bicycle lanes which are the safest way for people to ride. So if there are bicycle lanes there, it's much safer for people to utilise those than uh, using the, um, the road uh, in those circumstances. The other thing is people forget that you actually do need to use hand signals if you're um, cycling, uh, particularly when you're turning right. Um, or merging into the right lane, you need to be able to show the um, other drivers uh, on the roads what they're planning to do uh, and so that they can interpret and uh, uh, take the appropriate course of action. Yeah, that's uh, right. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, about the hand signals because, you know, we can't really tell what a cyclist is doing, unlike motorcyclists who do have indicators and they do use them much like cars do. With cyclists, it's a lot more, you know, hit and miss, really. That's right, yeah. So it is really important to be able to see what the uh, cyclist is doing and that removes that sort of unpredictability as well so that people are clear. The other um, area I guess for motorcycle riders is similar to cyclists as well. It's about not wearing a helmet or protective clothing and uh, it's also important I think uh, in terms of riding to the weather conditions. So if the roads are wet, there's much greater risk of skidding and uh, losing control so it is really important to, um, to slow down. You need to reduce your speed um, if you are approaching curves or uh, if there's um, you know, a blocked intersection or, um, or a blind spot. I think the other thing for um, motor bike riders is often you'll be in someone's blind spot or they just won't um, see you, so there needs to be enough space there to, um, to ensure that um, you can respond and react in enough time to navigate any particular issues safely uh, in regard to that. Yeah, and I think the other thing, just um, as a tip for drivers to help um, show that we look after motorcyclists as well as you are on the road, is that we definitely do, as a as driver of vehicles, that we are monitoring and scanning the road environment and watching out for motorcyclists. Mm. Uh, cars do have blind spots, so it's really important to ensure that you do the appropriate um, checks before you change lanes or pull out from the side of the road, and it's really important
it's amazing how much you can miss if you're not checking your blind spots when you're moving out or you're trying to overtake. I mean, sometimes you don't even see larger vehicles if you haven't checked your blind spots. So can you imagine yeah. what it'd be like for something smaller like a motorbike or a bicycle? Yes, that's right. So not just relying on your rear mirrors, but yeah, definitely checking over your shoulder um, is a really um, important safety mm. um, check to make sure that you have done everything to um, just try and detect um, any, um, any blind spots. Yeah. Now, Peter, in recent years, traffic congestion has worsened on many urban New South Wales roads, particularly in city CBDs and built-up areas. As a result, we've seen many people opt for driving alternatives such as public transport, walking and cycling. At the same time, we've also witnessed an increase of delivery riders on the roads, which leads me to ask, what kind of upgrades to road infrastructure Infrastructure have been implemented over the last few years to improve road safety for the rising number of pedestrians and cyclists that we're increasingly seeing on our roads. Yeah, well, look, it's a good point, and there has been a lot done to certainly improve uh, safety on our roads. And you're right, there is a much greater increase in terms of delivery riders um, utilising both um, normal pedal bikes and, and also uh, e-bikes on the roads. We have a safer roads program which um, is looking at trying to upgrade infrastructure treatment so that um, it is much safer for us all to be on the roads. Mm. Um, one of the strategies that we have is the Liverpool and Safe Urban Communities Initiative uh, and that's really trying to, um, to identify uh, areas where there is a lot of um, pedestrian traffic and uh, high pedestrian activity uh, but there's also potential for um, significant um, crashes. The sorts of things that we've been doing and looking at, uh, looking at speed zone changes, so uh, where there are high volumes of pedestrian cyclists, looking at how we can um, make the environment safer through reducing speeds. We certainly um, do a lot of evaluations and look at um, reducing speed limits in areas of 40 kilometres, speed limits in high pedestrian uh, activity areas. In 2017, we found that they were very effective and an evaluation uh, was done at the time of improving uh, road safety. And there was a uh, 33% um, reduction in crashes, uh, which resulted in serious injuries or fatalities um, between 2005 and 2015 mm. because of the um, you know, reducing speed limits in some of those areas to 40 uh, kilometres. We've also more recently started to even look at reducing some areas to 30 kilometres and there's a couple of uh, examples where we know there are very high pedestrian traffic and um, areas like um, Manly and Liverpool we have um, two areas where we have introduced um, 30 kilometre zones to protect uh, vulnerable road users like uh, pedestrians mm. uh, and then in 2021 we've also introduced a, um, a 30 kilometre zone in Maria uh, and again, that was based on an area of high um, pedestrian traffic. Uh, the other activities that we've been rolling out are pedestrian protection uh, programs, which are about trying to change some of the um, traffic signalling as well, so the walk sign, uh, so that um, when you get a um, green walk sign, uh, that they're actually um, staggered so that uh, rather than being simultaneous, they um, start with um, the um, pedestrian giving them a few more minutes before that vehicles can turn left so that uh, it just gives an opportunity for vehicles to really be alert to the fact that there is um, pedestrians uh, crossing and to, um, to be aware of that. Yeah. Uh, that just increases their, um, their visibility 
case has been uh, a number. I think there's about 560 insects around New South Wales that have been upgraded with those new devices. Uh, in terms of some of the other safety initiatives, there's also traffic calming. So I talked about the signal phasing, which is the, uh, the green uh, pedestrian crossing signs, but there's the lower speed limits. But traffic calming measures have also been quite um, important as well, and that might include raised pedestrian walkways uh, and uh, separate crossings. Mm-hmm. It might be um, trying to um, have blister curbs so that there's um, less roads to cross and more of a protection zone, some of the um, the, the traffic islands um, on roads as well mm-hmm. to um, help, um, again, make things safer for both pedestrians and also um, cyclists. Uh, so there is actually quite a range of um, projects and uh, one of our key focuses um, this year in the um, next um, 12 to 18 months is really about uh, active transport projects as well and we are looking at how, again, we can make um, uh, it much safer for people to um, use those alternative modes of transport, whether it is taking more opportunities to walk to work or to walk to um, to local areas um, or to, um, to use their, um, their cycle. It's interesting. Um, If we focus a bit more on pedestrian crossings, um, sometimes we find some strange painted markings and different pedestrian crossings. So if we can basically just clarify some of those differences between the different types of crossings so people understand what the signage means and people understand what the road markings mean. If we start off with the zebra crossing, yeah, so the separate crossing is um, designed for people to safely navigate across the road. Um, we are seeing a lot more uh, to improve the, um, the the safety of zebra crossings, a lot more raised zebra crossings. Yeah. Uh, and the intention there is, again, to remind cars to slow mm. down when they are, are um, going over a zebra crossing and it provides an extra level of safety for uh, those people who are navigating the crossings. And we have done a lot of work uh, in the zebra crossings, uh, particularly in school zones, yeah. uh, which is really designed to, again, highlight the importance of um, uh, and the safety that's needed in those school zones for children uh, getting from school. Yeah, so that raised pedestrian crossing is somewhere between like a, an ordinary crossing and a speed hump mm-hmm. in one, for those people who are wondering what that is. <laughs> yeah, and you'll see more and more of those because we're seeing that that is um, quite an effective and it's probably better than those little speed humps that are before zebra crossings, which we all sort of yeah. find to navigate. These ones are designed, I think, really to one, um, make the um, greater visibility of the zebra crossing, but also... Um, to ensure that people slow down um, when they're crossing them. So then we have children's crossings. How are they different or similar to the ordinary crossings that we may encounter? Yeah, well, they are very similar. And I think the key thing is that the children's zebra crossings around schools not only have the zebra crossing, but it also has the um, the 40-kilometre zones as well where... um, Hmm. Uh, so in the vicinity of the zebra crossing, there are times when um, traffic needs to um, to slow down. Uh, the other thing that we do have um, in many of the school crossings as well is the school crossing supervisors. So you will see the person with the lollipop yeah. there to um, to also create greater um, awareness and also help um, ensure that children are navigating the, um, the crossing safely as well, uh, and also to ensure that there is um, you know, safe flow of traffic um, uh, through the um, zebra crossings as well. Often with those um, zebra crossings are also some flashing um, warning lights as well, 
mm. uh, which is designed as a further um, prompt for people to um, to slow down in those areas. Yeah. What about in terms of the, the rules regarding a car or a vehicle slowing down or stopping before a pedestrian crossing? So certainly, I mean, in terms of the crossing, people should be slowing down when they're navigating the crossing. Uh, you do need to come to a full stop if there is somebody um, approaching the crossing or entering the crossing and um, it's you know some people do tend to creep um, mm. past the, um, the crossing or onto the crossing um, you do need to come to a full stop to allow uh, any pedestrian who is using the crossing uh, to um, to navigate um, the crossing safely uh, and you do need to give way to anybody who is approaching or, um, or entering the, um, the crossing which is why it is important to slow down once you are, are approaching the, uh, any crossing and then come to a full stop if there are people using the crossing. Yeah, we've also seen quite an increase in the number of speed humps on residential roads. This is something that I've noticed uh, increasingly over the last couple of years. Yeah, look, the, um, that's quite true and um, that is also part of the process of traffic calming mm. of trying to reduce speeds, particularly on more of the pedestrian or the neighbourhood roads where we you would expect more uh, um, pedestrian traffic. Uh, and again, just really trying to get people more aware of their surroundings, but also ensuring people are keeping the, uh, mm. the, the safe speed limits in those areas. Those traffic calming treatments can also include uh, things such as narrowing roads so that people need to be much more uh, concentrated in their driving. Mm. Uh, and that also um, slows people down and it makes sure that the roads are safer as well. And uh, there are a whole range of, you know, different sorts of treatments that are to, um, to reduce the, uh, the risk of um, pedestrian collision with motor vehicles. It makes it much harder also for vehicles to travel at unsafe speeds. I mean, there's not much opportunity for somebody to speed or to exceed the speed limit when, you know, they're having to come to an almost stop every 100 metres or so. That's right. So it does actually focus a concentration and also it does um, ensure that... Um, it's not a pleasant experience if you are travelling over the uh, expected, you know, the required speed limits. As we've already discussed the responsibilities of pedestrians and riders, let's turn our attention to motorists. What road rules and responsibilities apply to motorists in terms of ensuring rider and pedestrian safety? We have touched on a few of those points. Let's continue on with that discussion. <laughs> yeah, look, um, certainly as motorists, it's really important to be aware of your environment environment uh, and to be aware of those more vulnerable road users such as motorcyclists and, uh, and bicyclists uh, on roads. So uh, it's important I think as a, someone who is a, um, a motor vehicle um, rider mm. to be ensuring that you're uh, taking some precautions in terms of when you're swapping lanes to, to make sure you're aware of uh, your environment around you, be aware that suddenly bicyclists um, motorcyclists are much harder to see and we do see that there is a much greater risk of, um, of injury particularly uh, and we see most of the uh, you know, significant proportion of all um, motorbike and motorcycle accidents occurring during the week but between the four to six period in the, uh, the evening and uh, that's sort of attributable to a number of factors. One it is the um, period when lighting is, is much um, difficult. Yeah. Uh, the uh, sunset is much harder to uh, to suddenly sometimes to pick out um, cyclists and, and motorbike riders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also a uh, time when people are coming home from work and they can be more fatigued. So uh, certainly 
uh, and wrote some songs during that period. Mm. The other thing I think for um, for motor vehicle um, riders is to um, to just make sure that you give bicyclists and uh, motorbike riders enough space uh, and to keep clear of them when you are on the road. Uh, that you stay at a safe distance, um, it's much harder for them to react uh, and you need enough time as a motor vehicle rider to be able to react as well. So that distance scene is um, really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's also, I think, when you're at a full stop and you're parked, um, pulling out or, um, or getting out of your vehicle, again, we see a lot of incidents um, from people um, collecting um, motorbikes or cyclists with their door. Those sorts of things are things that as a motor vehicle um, driver, you need to, um, to just be conscious of and be aware that those are high-risk situations mm-hmm. that you need to keep um, present too. Right. So in terms of leaving a safe distance, how much distance is a safe distance? Yeah, look, um, in terms of a minimum passing distance um, rules for drivers, you must give um, bicycle riders at least one metre of space when you're passing um, when the speed limit is 60 kilometres or less mm-hmm. and it's 1.5 metres when the speed limit is more than 60 kilometres is critical in terms of doing that. Uh, and then for all other um, riders, um, it is really important motorbike riders to ensure that you are um, just giving them the same distances that you would um, other vehicles on the road mm-hmm. uh, in terms of um, allowing enough reaction time to react to any emergency that may occur. All right, so we've already established that sometimes pedestrians and riders can behave in a way that endangers their own safety. But what kind of behaviours on their part can also cause confusion and pose a danger to other motorists? Yeah, look, I think um, for both cyclists and uh, motorbike riders, it's probably doing things that are not predicted. Mm. And again, I think if you're on a bicycle and, and a bike, sometimes you think you can, because it's a much smaller vehicle, you can navigate in, in ways that you wouldn't see, contemplate doing in a car, such as um, you know not stopping at, um, at red lights, um, riding across pedestrian crossings, or trying to do U-turn or, uh, where it's not um, permitted. These are all things that, um, like any other rider on the road, you need to follow the same road rules and ensure that you're um, definitely um, doing everything you can to make your ability as um, clear as possible for other road users mm. uh, and, and mainly to your own safety so that people can see you and that they um, are aware of your presence on the road and they can take appropriate um, safety precautions as well to ensure that everybody is um, travelling safely on the road. Yeah, two common scenarios I've often seen um, on part of either cyclists or pedestrians is when um, sometimes people want to cross during stop traffic. Like let's say there's a queue of cars at a red light and then you find that a pedestrian wants to cross through the traffic at that time when the traffic is stopped but then the traffic light turns green and all the cars start to move and they find themselves caught in a pickle. Yeah, look, I, I think that you're absolutely right, and that is a really high-risk situation for um, pedestrians, particularly if people don't see them on the road. Mm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I know it is sometimes um, 
you just think you need to if you need to get somewhere and you think you know all the traffic has stopped uh, you know it's a chance for me to um to cross at this point but often the traffic can start just as quickly again and you're right you can get really um caught out in um, being stuck in traffic and then suddenly you've got cars um on either side of you traveling at speed uh, and there's a real risk there is uh, particularly if um one of the um the cars um is uh, drivers is not um, does not see you there um, in, in that circumstance. So yeah, you you really do need to ensure that you um, wait for um, uh, either you get to the nearest um, pedestrian crossing or um, uh, traffic light um, crossing, or um, you wait until there is um, clear part of the road where mm. you can navigate safely. There's also the issue with sometimes pedestrians getting a little bit too lazy to kind of walk a couple of steps down to cross at the crossing or the lights and they want to jump across traffic, you know, 10, 20 metres before the crossing or after a crossing where cars are not expecting for any pedestrians to really be jumping out onto the road because, well, there was a crossing just there. Yeah. No, that is true and I think sometimes we forget just the risk we put ourselves in when... Mm. When people do that, so yeah, it, it's always much safer if there is a crossing, then there is an obligation to use those crossings, uh, whether it's a pedestrian crossing or a uh, traffic. Yeah, sometimes we're so focused on just getting from point A to point B in the quickest way to do it that we ignore all the safety risks that are out there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is. It's some and a lot of safety issues are about people just um, trying to um, take a shortcut and uh, we just all know that um, you know it's not worth it it's not worth the risk of um, having a serious injury yeah that's right uh, Peter thank you for a great discussion around sharing the roads with pedestrians and riders I look forward to speaking to you in part two to discuss sharing the roads with heavy vehicles thank you um, and it's good to talk to you on that uh, topic on that. Special road rules apply to drivers passing bicycle riders on the road to help keep them safe. Drivers must leave at least one metre of space when passing a bike where the speed limit is 60 kilometres per hour or less, and at least 1.5 metres when the speed limit is more than 60 kilometres per hour.